Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome everyone to the first episode in a series of upcoming quirky stories we've got about urban legends. All of them have an element of criminal seediness or conspiracy about them and as they play out we'll get to the bottom of whether there's any truth to these tales or they're purely myths. And I have to credit my friends Sarah and Nick for this idea. This year they just moved to Brunswick um, which triggered a pretty interesting conversation which leads us to our first tale today. Grandsile, 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 where in Brunswick and Footscray, Franco Cozzo have the pleasure to present to you Il Modernissimo, bedroom suites, dining room and wonderful lounge. Why don't you come for yourself and have a look at this magnificent Il Modernissimo, only can found from Franco Cozzo. Buy from Franco Cozzo. Megalo, 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 Sepulibasco Franco Cozzo. Trapezeria, Crevato Cameras, Salonia, Careclesi, Apoto Franco Cozzo. Elate, Nagorazite, Epipla, Sto Franco Cozzo. In Pranzic, and Footscray, Nagorazite, Sto Franco Cozzo. Franco Cozzo, per la prima volta in Australia, dichiara guerra, guerra e prezzi, grande svendita. Dove? A Brunswick e Footscray. Se i migliori mobili volete comprare, oggi, domani e sempre, da Franco Cozzo dovete andare. Dove? A Brunswick e Footscray. Comprate da Franco Cozzo. Franco Cozzo was a celebrity in his day. The lines from his ads were famous in Victoria. He was easily one of the most recognised brands in Melbourne. With his silky suits and traditional Italian styling, one writer suggested he had the good looks of an Italian Paul Newman. To me, he looked a tad like an Italian Jay Leno. His website says, At Franco Cozzo, you'll find the finest Italian furniture at unbeatable prices. No matter the size or type of space you are wanting to decorate, our varied selection of classic to modern styles will fit all your styling needs. Visit us in one of our stores in Brunswick and Footscray now for a guaranteed satisfaction. Baroque was the style, apparently. Others called his furniture kitsch, over-the-top, Rococo-style pieces that look like elaborate cakes with radios and stereos built into the bedheads. Franco Cozzo came to Australia in 1956. He said, I arrived in Port Melbourne, left the ship and came to a wonderful land with very few in the population. I said to myself, this is where I have to stay. I came from a town in Sicily which had a large population And I come here and it's just nine million. He opened a furniture store in Footscray shortly after he arrived in Australia in 1956. It expanded to a second store in Brunswick not long after. All went well for years and Franco's ads fed into his success and he began to garner cult-like status in Melbourne. By about the mid-90s, rumours started to spread. The urban legend was that Franco, the crafty old silver fox, wasn't just peddling gaudy sofas and bedding. Rumour had it, 
Many of his pieces were hollowed out and contained drugs, and his entire furniture operation was just a front for a huge mafioso drug syndicate. Why else were his stores open 24 hours a day? Kane Hooper from Executive Success Australia notes a rumour which he heard from a policeman's daughter back in 2001, which said, Franco Cozzo is a major drug dealer in Australia. His stores were set up as a staging ground for his drug shipments. The drugs were being shipped inside the furniture itself, in the legs of the chairs and tables. Every time an ad was aired on television, it was a signal to the drug cartels that a new shipment had arrived and was ready for distribution. It was an intriguing urban tale, but was there any truth to it? According to Franco himself, he said, I hear a lot of rumours, they never stop. If they were true, I would be in jail like other people. I remember the rumours. People from Channel 9, Channel 10, Channel this and that, even the police make some mistakes. Apparently the police regularly investigated him. He said, every day when there are lots of rumours around, if you go with peace of mind, nothing will happen. I have nothing to hide. Franco, who says he was born with charisma and seems to always refer to himself in the third person, puts it all down to tall poppy syndrome. Look at Bob Hawke, Alan Bond. Make a mistake, borrow a lot of money, but they destroy him, Franco said. So perhaps the rumours were completely false. Franco was the happy-go-lucky, law-abiding optimist he claimed to be, oozing with confidence from his thriving furniture sales. But his son, Luigi, didn't follow suit and follow in his old man's inspiring business footsteps. I'm sure Franco would have loved it if Luigi and his brother Mario had gone into the plumbing trade and gone on to have a famous Nintendo video game named after them. Alas for Luigi, or Lou as he was known, he'd end up keeping worse company than even the most clogged pipes beneath the darkest subfloors. When Graham Kinnebrow was drinking at the Laurel Hotel in Ascot Vale before driving to Alphonse Gangitano's home in Templestowe on the night of his murder, it was with Lou Cotso that the Munster was knocking back a few brews. Lou had starred in some of Franco's ads and his father had big dreams for his son to become a successful businessman of his own right. Lou might have had these dreams too. But according to the Canberra Times on January the 14th, 1992, Lou had turned to heavy cocaine use after his father had left his mother and fathered three children with a woman 20 years his junior. Con Heliotis, who'd go on to represent Tony Mockbell, said his 34-year-old client Lou had spent his life trying to please his very ambitious and successful father, but had usually been ignored or criticised. Lou had devoted himself to the unachievable task of trying to please his father. It always seemed that Franco was never quite there. In 1983, Franco had begun a relationship with a secretary at one of his three Melbourne furniture stores. He had stores in Brunswick, Footscray and North Melbourne by this time. He left his wife and had three children with the younger woman, leaving Lou devastated. Lou refused to speak to his father for five years until they reconciled in 1988. In 1992, Lou pleaded guilty to trafficking about 200 grams of cocaine between August and October in 1988. Lou had made about $1,000 a week during the three and a half weeks of that period, but the money had only been used to buy more cocaine to feed his very substantial habit. Lou's decline began in 1980 after a serious car accident left him with a badly fractured leg and chronic headaches. For pain relief, Lou began to use marijuana, which he found more effective than prescribed medication. 
The judge found that Lou led a self-indulgent lifestyle, which had also led him to commit previous gaming and drug offences. The conviction only fuelled the rumours that Franco's furniture business was indeed the aforementioned mafia front, selling more coke than the coffee tables it's often snorted from. But none of his son's worries were troubling the buoyant furniture salesman. Many bad things happened to Franco Cozzo, he said. But I say, nobody die, and this is good. The economy is bad, no problem. We fix it up. Luigi went away? Good luck, my friend. You cannot lose your confidence, Franco went on to say, because if you do, you finish it with tablets. I didn't believe my son took anything, but he did. And this is his rehabilitation. They make a mistake, let them pay. But his bravado simmered somewhat when talking about his own upbringing, giving us some insight into his childhood. I had a very tough father, Franco said. He smacked me every day, and this way I become 100% in business, and life also. I tell you a secret, when my father smacked me for no reason, I said to myself, when I have kids, I never touch, so I never touch all of my kids. Some suggested maybe Franco's fame went to his head. He disagreed. It never affected me at all. I was born like this, he said. Every morning I sweep outside the front door there. I'm a celebrity, but I still got to do it. When asked if he's been a good father, Franco said, I'm one of the best fathers. He may well have been, but Lou certainly didn't see it that way when news.com.au reported in 2016 that Franco was living in fear of his son who had been charged with threatening to kill him over $400. Lou Cozzo, 58 by this time, was charged with threatening to kill his dad after the 81-year-old told police, if I die tonight, you'll know who killed me. Franco reported the alleged threat to police after a phone call between the pair in April became heated when he refused to give his son $400. He called me a dog, told me I'll fix you up, I'll kill you. He called me all the names my mouth can't say, I'm ashamed, Franco concluded, fearful his son would carry out with the threat. And he said he now wants nothing more to do with Lou. If he was a son, Franco Cozzo would not be in court He is not a son, he is not my son, Franco said, again referring to himself in the third person. I have nothing to do with him, I want nothing to do with him. He has no respect. I picked him up from jail, gave him a car, gave him money, gave him everything and look where I am today. I'm a glorious man, everyone loves me, only he doesn't like Franco Cozzo because he's jealous. Lou Cozzo told the court a different story, saying that his father had been abusive and controlling. Lou shook his head as Franco described fighting off two stabbing attempts by his son. Lou said Franco stood over the family emotionally, physically and financially and admitted the pair regularly fought about money. He thinks it's his money, it's the company's, Lou said, the company I've worked for since the day I was born. It's my curse. Lou Cozzo denied making any threats to kill his father and the charges were ultimately dropped on December 12, 2016. In the years after, Franco went on to make his biggest sale yet when he put his iconic Western Suburbs furniture store in Footscray up for sale with a cool asking price of around $7 million. The 1,088-square-metre Hopkins Street shop was earmarked to be transformed into an apartment tower or a new commercial site. Franco was still working in his stores at this time, well into his 80s, and said he would miss his customers and the area if the site sold. But maybe I changed my mind, he said, because firstly, I will miss all of my publicity. If I retire, what's Franco Cozzo? Finish. 
but I want to be an actor always, he said. The father of 10, or 9 as he's been quoted saying, presumably meaning Lou has been cut out of that tally, said the western suburbs and Footscray would always have a special place in his heart. Footscray in the West has been good to me and is full of lovely, lovely people, he said. I love Footscray and I love Australia because it made me who I am. But even the most jubilant and positive need to get away and clear their heads. Franco Cozzo is no exception. To escape the work, the autographs and the hassles, he drives down the Nepean Highway to his beach house in Aspendale. I listen to Puccini, I play with my three kids, I cook every Sunday. I cook better than any cook in Australia because I'm from Sicily. I do my own bread, my own pasta, my own sauce, and I sing to myself and forget what happened yesterday, he said. When the bad times come, Franco Cozzo has to dig deep. My weak moments go for five minutes, he said. Then I look at myself in the mirror and say, Franco, back to where you was. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. In 1982, the action film First Blood told the story of Vietnam veteran and drifter John Rambo, played by Sylvester Stallone, who wanders into a small Washington town in search of an old friend, but is met with intolerance and brutality by the local sheriff. When the sheriff and his deputies restrain and shave Rambo, he flashes back to his time as a prisoner of war and unleashes his fury on the officers. He kills a chopper pilot narrowly escapes the manhunt and goes on to green beret their asses in the forest using his military training. In David Morrell's 1972 novel First Blood, Rambo actually dies, but in the film he lives, which was apparently a last-minute decision based on Sly's recommendation. They shot the alternative ending and boom, it was a hit and became a franchise. In the subsequent four Rambo sequels, he essentially went on to get screwed over and then went on the revenge war path, hunting down those who wronged him in an absolute bloodbath. It's a stark contrast to something like The Golden Girls, a popular American TV sitcom which was about four older women who shared a unique and humorous friendship. The show aired on commercial television around the same time as Rambo's saga played out in the theatres, the mid-80s through to the early 90s. But in the year 2000, while Sydney was hosting the Olympic Games and the nation was watching Cathy Freeman race to gold in the 400 metres while wearing that weird bodysuit, the worlds of Rambo and the Golden Girls would collide on the grey streets of Melbourne. Revenge was a dish best served cold for 81-year-old gun-toting granny Ava Estelle, who was so ticked off when two thugs raped her 18-year-old granddaughter that she tracked the unsuspecting ex-cons down and shot their testicles off. 
The old lady spent a week hunting those bums down and when she found them, she took revenge on them in her own special way, said Victorian police detective Evan Delp. Then she took a taxi to the nearest police station, laid the gun on the sergeant's desk and told him as calm as could be, those bastards will never rape anybody again, by God. Police reported convicted rapist and robber Davis Firth, 33, lost both his penis and his testicles when outraged Ava opened fire with a 9mm pistol in the seedy hotel room where he and former prison cellmate Stanley Thomas, 29, were holed up. The wrinkled Avenger also blew Thomas's testicles to kingdom come, but doctors managed to save his mangled penis, police said. The one guy, Thomas, didn't lose his manhood, but the doctor I talked to said he won't be using it the way he used to, Detective Delp told reporters. Both men are still in pretty bad shape, but I think they're just happy to be alive after what they've been through. The Rambo granny, or Grambo as we'll call her, swung into action after her granddaughter Debbie was carjacked and raped by two knife-wielding creeps in a section of town bordering on Skid Row. When I saw the look on my Debbie's face that night in the hospital, I decided I was going to go out and get those bastards myself because I figured the police would go easy on them, recalled the retired library worker. And I wasn't scared of them either because I've got me a gun and I've been shooting it all my life. So using a police artist's sketch of the suspects and Debbie's description of the sicko's car, Tough as Nails Ava spent seven days prowling the wino-infested neighbourhood where the crime took place till she spotted the ill-fated rapists entering their Flophouse Hotel. I knew it was them the minute I saw them, but I shot a picture of them anyway and I took it back to Debbie and she said sure as hell it was them, the ornery oldster recalled. So I went back to that hotel and found their room and knocked on the door. And the minute the big one, Firth, opened the door, I shot him. Got right square between the legs, right where it would really hurt him most, you know. Then I went down to the police station and turned myself in. Now, baffled lawmen are trying to figure out how to deal with the vigilante granny. What she did was wrong, but you can't really throw an 81-year-old woman in prison, Detective Delp said, especially when all three million people in the city want to nominate her for sainthood. Tantalising as this story is, it's an untrue urban legend. As the Snopes article published 9th of March 2000 says, the tale was debunked by a guy who works for the Office of Public Prosecutions, who said there was no record of a gun-toting granny in their records and that furthermore, a criminal in their 80s would still be prosecuted. He claims the urban legend was created in 2000 when the story was published in an American tabloid called the Weekly World News, which is renowned for publishing highly clickable but factually challenging content. Still, the tale of Grambo stalking and taking down those two punks is a fun one to retell and it's a good way to end our first little Urban Legends episode. What are your thoughts on these, Sean? I wanted the Grambo one to be true, <laughs> but uh, when I read it, I just uh, knew it was too good to, to be so. But uh, And also, you know, who doesn't like a bit of uh, late-night Franco Cozzo advertising <laughs> yeah. too? I <laughs> I recall that pretty vividly from back in the day. Strange times his ads yeah. uh, came on. But um, anyway, they obviously worked for him. But uh, this, this was good to do. You know, we were chatting last week about what we could do on Patreon coming up and through a combination of ideas, really, we sort of came up with this. I think it's going to be an interesting little series and we're going to try and focus more on Patreon content moving forward, try and shift our focus away from some of the time spent on uh maybe some of the emails and the Facebook group and, and, and more content for the people who are 
supporting the episodes um, uh, that we make. And I think this was a very interesting one to kick off with. Yeah, definitely. And I guess if you were going to talk about the perfect vigilante uh, scenario, um, a grandmother <laughs> defending her granddaughter um, is the perfect yet flawed argument for why we should be allowed to get our own justice right. Like it just, you, you kind of really wanted to get away with it and then the police detective seemingly supports it. Um, and, yeah, I don't know, Frank Okotso, uh, his site's still there in Footscray. I have a friend that lives out west and I still drive past that site, so it hasn't been made into apartments or whatever. No, it hasn't, um, yeah. And, you know, Brunswick is still there and if people aren't familiar, I mean, look up what the furniture looks like, but it is the most ornate, detailed, carved, wooden, over-the-top <laughs> furniture with it's intense, velvet it? and it's yeah. like bright yellow, bright green, purple, and it's or it's you know really patterned. It is so full on, and that's I'm talking like a dining chair with matching table, with a matching lounge suite, with a matching bed frame. Like you could get your whole house done. It's really full on, and it's really sus that that store with so much space has stayed open that long. But um, what happens happened, and I'm not suggesting anything else. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, he was uh, one of the articles I read, which I didn't put in this, but he's sort of saying, um, you know, he was quite grateful with with the, uh, you know, he's saying he gets a lot of Vietnamese and Chinese sort of customers, and yeah. he's like, you know, they 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 work hard and they pay cash, and he said in one, I think that some family for some sort of sweet, you know, like it must have been, you know, the whole kit and caboodle yeah. that he sold them, paid sixty two or sixty five thousand cash for Whoa. this whole. <laughs> So that's a lot for like a bedroom, it, like a bedroom suite or a dining suite. Yeah. I don't know what it was or a, a lounge suite. I don't know. But, geez, I was, you know, it's some, <sighs> it's pretty crazy stuff. When I looked on the website, there are some more modern sort of ones he has, mm. but that's obviously not his, his bread and yeah. butter. I think, the people, I think the people going there are going for the. That's what they know that, him uh, for, the stuff with panache. Yeah. Um. yeah, with. <laughs> And we have to talk about some of the journalism that yes. we got this content from as well because the mm. way that Franco's accent was written out um, has made for some mm. pretty interesting bloopers from us in this because yeah. they were I might put them at the end. <laughs> full on taking the piss. <laughs> like it was written like he was a Muppets character. Like it was... <laughs> It was. I mean, and they, you know, it would almost be offensive. It would hundred percent be offensive. Like we, were, we, yeah. we were saying because they were they were writing, you know, these these articles from nineteen ninety two are quoting him and they're spelling it out like he says. Yeah, it, with A's think, and E's um, on the end of know, words and yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we really had to tone that down <laughs> and not sort of go into the accent. But um yeah, anyway. Yeah. Well, that's it for this one, but we've got some sneak peek previews for upcoming episodes. Yeah, so we've got two uh, bank robber episodes coming up, one highly requested, and that's the tale of the postcard bandit, Brendan Abbott. So uh, a lot of people have asked for that, but the the book, um, I think it was Derek Pedley wrote uh, about him, is out of print. It's been hard to get a hold of, but I've got it now, so I'll be making my way through that one next. And then we'll be talking about another bank robber and prison escapee, Christopher Badness Bins a highly interesting, hectic character he is. So I think that'll be an interesting pair of episodes. Yeah, absolutely it is. And to see us out uh, this time, Chloe, we got the uh, Golden Girls. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a con-
panache. The, 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 the Franco Cotto's got panache. He does. This would be the perfect episode to use that in. <laughs> I'll tell you a secret. When my father smacked me for no reason, I said to myself, when I got a kids, I never. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> When I got a, when I got a kids, I never touch. <laughs> just came out so perfectly. Uh, I'm just going to change it when I have. I know that that's probably not right, but I can't say I got a Footscray in the West is Footscray and the West. <laughs> Recalled the retired library worker, and I wasn't. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. They drew first blood, not me. Look, Johnny. Let me come in and get you the hell out of there. They drew first blood. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.